So the feeding of the 5,000 is arguably the most well-known of all the miracles Jesus performs during his ministry. Because this is the one miracle that is found throughout all four of the Gospels. Most of us here know this story in one form or another. We either know that Jesus fed 5,000 people by giving them some bread and some fish. Some of us know that there were actually more than 5,000 people present because women and children were not counted. Many of us know that Jesus is taking this meager food the disciples had, the food that they mockingly gave to Jesus, saying we have nothing except five loaves and two fish, and then he blessed it. The disciples, though, did not realize what they had in their hands. This group of followers had been, become discouraged by their reality, what they saw right in front of them. But patiently, Jesus takes the bread and the fish, and then we know the rest. But we miss something in this story. We miss something in this story when we read it by itself, isolated, verses 13 through 21. And we miss something because we know this story so well. We know it so well that we treat it as a one-off event in Jesus' ministry. In reading this story by itself, we miss the beauty of Matthew's writing. We miss that this miracle is connected to the stories before and after it. Like in verse 22, right after all of the Tupperware baskets are full to the top, the saga continues when Jesus commands his disciples to get into a boat. And we're going to talk about that next week. When we isolate this story and ignore the previous 13 verses of this chapter, we miss that this feeding story that we just read about is contrasting another feeding story. The feeding of the 5,000s offers us a contrast to a birthday party that Herod of Antipas threw for himself just a few verses earlier. Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison because the wife of because of the wife of Herod's brother Philip. That's because John told Herod it's against the law for you to marry her. And although Herod wanted him killed, he feared the crowd because they thought John was a prophet. Herod wanted John the Baptist dead. Because John was citing two Levitic codes that prohibited Herod from marrying his brother's wife. Leviticus 18.6, None of you shall approach anyone of your kin to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. That's probably a pretty good rule. Or Leviticus 21, If a man marries his brother's wife, it's an act of impurity. He has dishonored his brother. They will be childless. John was a popular leader, and he was also a political threat to Herod's rule. But John's death posed the possibility of a greater threat. So Herod kept him alive, but still in prison. But all of this changes when Herod swears to give his daughter anything she wanted after a thrilling wedding dance. 
But at Herod's birthday party, his daughter danced in front of the guests and thrilled Herod. Then he swore to give her anything she asked. At her mother's urging, the girl said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a plate. Although the king was upset because of his solemn pledge and because of his guests, he commanded that they give it to her. When those who are in power hesitate, they lose power. Herod feared losing control from from this angry crowd if their popular leader was killed. Herod hesitated but realized then that his guests were also watching. He also feared that he would lose control by going back on his word in front of his guests. What you have to know here is that this is a a different Herod. This is not the King Herod, Herod the Great, that we read about during Christmas. Herod of, of Antipas had become a tetrarch, a local ruler of Galilee, while his brothers ruled other regions that were once under a single kingdom that his father ruled. John is beheaded as Herod is trying to maintain control, to maintain power that had been and was continuing to be diminished. Stanley Hauerwas, professor at Duke Divinity, puts it this way. Matthew has described the insecurity of those in power who depend on the presumption of those around them. That is, they must act in a manner that assures those they rule, as well as themselves, that they possess the power they pretend to possess. And that's where our story today picks up. Contrast is a repetitive theme that we see throughout Scripture this morning. Herod stands in stark contrast to Jesus. Both are rulers, and both have surrounded themselves with followers, people who were attracted to the power that they were wielding. But Jesus' authority is different. While Herod's slower power is slowly being diminished, Jesus' power is beginning to increase exponentially. These two men, while living at the same time, are living in two separate worlds. We have the two contrasting feeding stories. Two opportunities to show a leader's power, and yet we have two entirely different stories. Herod shows us pride, arrogance, scheming, and murder. While on the other hand, Jesus shows us healing, truth, and sharing. Jesus is obviously hurt by the death of John. And instead, though, of lashing out with a scheme of revenge on Herod, he teaches his disciples. He teaches us that even in the midst of despair and sorrow, there will be opportunities to care for one another. In the midst of all of that, his ministry is continuing. He has moved to another side of the lake where Herod has no power, demonstrating to his disciples and to us today God's true nature by responding to death without violence. Jesus is showing us that following him requires sacrifice, a contrast to the world that Herod is offering. Just as Jesus sacrifices everything, so too will his disciples. 
Jesus shows compassion and love towards the crowd even when he wants to retreat. Jesus shows his power and charity for others in the shadow of Herod demonstrating his power through murder. In this story, we see that when we give what little we have to Jesus, God will do miraculous things for those who follow Christ. In this story, we see that God uses whatever the church has in her hands and then multiplies it. We know that part of the story, but we often miss the alternative politic that Jesus is offering to us, that Jesus is offering to the world. The alternative politic that Jesus offers us exposes the realities of the kingdom of God that we often just glance over. First, God will use what we have in our hands right now. There's no need to say, one day I will, or one day our church will. God is ready to act right now with whatever you have in your hands this morning. There are times when we feel as though the overwhelming need of our community and our world cannot be alleviated with the underwhelming resources that we have. We see hungry crowds and injustice in the world and think that the five loaves and the two squishy fishies that we have aren't enough. And that, that may be true, but we have in our hands may not be enough to change the world today, even when we act with compassion. But when we give it to Jesus, when we give those five loaves and those two fish to God, big things will happen. Just like with a mustard seed growing to a large bush and its branches reaching out. When we give our bread and fish to Jesus, miraculous things happen. There are also therapeutic and non-therapeutic aspects to Jesus' ministry. Healing and helping go hand in hand. They're not isolated from one another. The feeding of the 5,000 is not just a feeding story. It began with Jesus physically healing people. Here, when Jesus arrived and saw a large, large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. Jesus did not heal them to, to further his own power. He healed them because he cared about them. He loved them. Jesus ministered to the therapeutic need of the people before he fed them. He didn't ignore their ailments and just hand them some food. Jesus' compassion extended beyond a quick fix handout. When we give compassion, when we give that to God, the results are abounding. There has been debate back and forth over the meaning of the 12 Tupperware baskets at the end of our story. Did they represent the 12 tribes of Israel? Maybe it was the disciples. All debates aside, at the very least, the very least, the abundance of the leftovers showed the disciples and the gathered crowd and continues to show us today the greatness of this event and the greatness of the alternative politic Jesus is offering to the world. Jesus' compassion is abundant. It's not limited to a particular constituency group. Abundance is available to all of us in need through Christ Jesus. And finally, in the breaking of the bread, we are all filled. Jesus blessed the fish 
and the bread, but he only distributed the bread. In the middle of verse 19, right after that, there's no more mention of fish. In the breaking of this bread, he is anticipating his own breaking. There's a sacramental element to this miracle calling all of us to gather at the table this morning. We are fed so that we can feed the world through the sharing of Christ's body. When we gather at the Lord's table for the breaking of bread, our responsibility to provide bread to the world is renewed. Jesus' contrast to Herod's rule and his birthday party, Jesus' contrasting way of establishing power is similar to the way power is maintained today. We all know that we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. If you haven't done something to benefit me or advance my power and standing, you run the risk of being casted aside. If you're lucky enough to have power and influence and the ability to cast others off the sideline, you're still constantly looking over your shoulder, wondering where the next threat to your power will come from. Contrasting Jesus' compassion is the desperation and the results that others pay when those who rule from a place of insecurity begin to feel more insecure. Because when those who were once in power begin to lack the power they are seeking, their lives turn destructive and desperate. Those outside the spheres of power and influence often view the world, often view all of us as unworthy of compassion. You may not be welcomed at the seat of power. They aren't welcome at the table. They are just a number, a vote, or a burden on the rest of us. Jesus' exercising of power does not seek to overcome any insecurity. Jesus is not gaining power to fill a void. Instead of killing or casting someone off, he offers new life to everyone that he shows compassion towards. His compassion is an invitation to participate in his kingdom. A kingdom being ushered in by peace. Jesus is offering us an alternative. An alternative where it doesn't matter if 5,000 or 10,000 are fed. What really matters is that they were all fed. There's no agenda of pride or arrogance or power. The only agenda is an agenda of compassion. The reality of what we have to offer Jesus is something that shouldn't discourage us. We live in a world of fakes and alternatives. Let us be a church where the alternative offered by us is the same alternative offered by Christ, the same alternative that Jesus' disciples embraced. Not so we can further our own standing or our own agenda, but so that we can be a part of the miraculous work that Jesus, our Lord, and our King did 2,000 years ago and is continuing to do today. So that we can be a people who eagerly offer to Jesus the meager bread and fish in our hands. Amen.